House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. I'm Emer Considine and today I am joined by producer Pat and Harlequins and England star Mike Brown. Mike, you are very welcome onto the show today. You were on with us over lockdown um, and we were we got a lot of good commentary and good feedback from our fans. Producer Pat, what were some of the things that our fans and listeners were saying? Yeah, Mike, we, we were chatting about it at the time, weren't we, about um, just some of the, I suppose, just the, the many battles you had maybe playing for Harlequins and, and England against Irish sides over the years. So a lot of people maybe had an idea about who Mike Brown was, the player and stuff. And then, yeah, just great feedback. And a lot of people kind of, the general gist of it was like, oh, Jesus, Mike Brown's all right. Like, so um, I, was, I said I'd read out a couple of the, <laughs> the top comments we had. Um, about just the, the first one was, um, damn, Mike Brown seems sound. I'll have to take him off my list. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I'm probably on a few people's list, so. <laughs> the next one is, Jesus, Mike Brown seems sound enough. I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> and yeah. the, uh, the, the final one, Mike, is, uh, Mike Brown was excellent. Uh, not his biggest fan, but who doesn't want a feisty, uh, talented bollocks in your team? Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. Yeah, I'll take that. Is that, um, Mike, is that something that happens quite a bit that like, you know, people perceive you as one thing on the field and then when they meet you off the field, they're like, oh yeah, he's actually sound. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I'm one of them highlight players. <laughs> well, I hope so. Um, I think I'm different. I, I think I'm very different to what I am on the field. Um, I'm one of them highlight players. You either like me or you definitely don't. Um but then off the field, I'm quite um, shy, reserved sort of person, um, which people don't expect. So I, I do get it a bit, but um, I think it's just the way, way I like to play rugby, the way that um, best way to get the best out of myself on the rugby field. So, yeah, I can be annoying at times. Is there anything that you do to switch over from that, like, calm, collected mind of the non-playing Mike Brown to, like, the playing Mike Brown? Like, what do you do? To, to switch over and to flip into that mindset? No, not really. I think um, just through playing over the years and um, knowing how best to get uh, the best out of myself when I get on the field, um, you just sort of switch into it um, once you take the field. So, yeah, it's not nothing I, um, I try and do or, or do um, that I think about. It's just once I get on the field, I just get into to rugby mode and, and then that's it away I go it's so interesting there's so many players that I'm sure you play with I know that I play with that like off the field they're just you know so mannerly so calm so like as such such a different person but then like that you know once they get on the field it's like they have just flipped a switch and they're a completely different person but I suppose you need that when you're playing the game of rugby um, how have you been getting on since you last were on the show? Very different rugby season, a very different pre-season, and now you're approaching your 15th season of with Harlequins? Yeah, I think it might even be my 16th or 17th. I wrong. Um, Producer yeah, Pat, a, you're killing me yeah, with this. It's been a, <laughs> I think that's just showing my age, though, unfortunately. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a good few pre-seasons, but nothing like what we're going through at the moment. I think when I last spoke to you guys I might still be coming back from injury I can't quite remember it's gone so quick 
Um, we were in lockdown and uh, I just had surgery just before. So I was still coming back from injury and lockdown came sort of at the right time for me, but sort of at the wrong time. I mean, it was good that I wasn't missing games because when you're injured, as you probably know, if you've ever been injured for, for a decent amount of time, going through games and, and missing them and having to watch them and want to be involved is mentally tough, but I didn't have to do that. But then on the the other, the flip side was I, I wasn't being able to see the physio, you know, those days when you, you need some reassurance and you need to talk to someone, I didn't have that. Um, I was having to train on my own, which can be tough and go through all my rehab on my own, which is, is tough as well. Um, and not have hands on with physio can also be tough. So there's two sides of it, but um yeah, got back into it after lockdown, um, playing games that I never thought I'd be able to play, um, finishing the season with Quinns. Um, and yeah, very short pre-season, just, go, just going through that now, the three weeks that we've had. Um, and, and we're all massively excited to get back on the field on Friday. I suppose you never really had a break officially, you know, with a three-week pre-season, that's not... That's not an ideal build-up, but um, how are you fixed injury-wise at the moment? Are you fully fit and back to back to your best, or do you hope to be back to your best? Yeah, I feel great. Um, it's kind of good for a player my age not to have a long pre-season, I think. Um, not too much running and fitness and things like that. Um, you don't lose too much in three weeks from, from the previous season, so... We were straight back into rugby, whereas normally we'd have, you know, uh, at least a month worth of uh, just running up and down a, a rugby field, not really touching a ball. So, yeah, it's been a strange, very short pre-season. But I think for me, um, at my age, it's good to have that. Um, and, yeah, just just excited to get back into it now. Um, even after three weeks, you just want to get back on the field. And we're lucky enough we're the first fixture on Friday, so not too long to wait. Yeah, you don't have um, the easiest of fixtures, I suppose, Exeter's run at the moment. They're, they've been pretty successful. So a challenging one to start with. Yeah, massively challenging um, one to start with, unfortunately. But also with that challenge comes the excitement and um, everything we play in a top team like that. Um, you want those teams to, to, to come to your place and, and challenge you and, and, and you want to play against the best um you know, when you're a professional sportsman. So there's no better team at the moment to, to have first up in one sense. But also we know how tough they're going to be. You know, they're a machine. Even when they haven't got their top guys playing, which they won't, some of them are away um, with their with their countries. You know, they're a well-oiled machine. They're, they're very efficient with whoever they're playing. They just all slot into place and, and are the same sort of machine, um, whoever they've got playing. So we know it's going to be tough. Um but at least I suppose we're getting them first up, <laughs> and hopefully, yeah, they, exactly. Because they have, yeah, hopefully, because they haven't had so, as much rest as us, um, we can, you know, come out firing and, and really challenge them. You, you spoken out during the week about, or during on the Twitter on your Twitter page about, you know, the lack of crowds and getting crowds back into the stadiums. Have you played many games without the crowds? And would you be hopeful that you could get those supporters and, um, I suppose, people back into the crowds into the into empty stadiums so that they. There'll be some bit of an atmosphere there. It must be very strange. Yeah, look, I think I speak for every um, rugby player up and down the country and other countries. We're desperate to get crowds back in. That's what we, that's what we love to do. Um, play for the crowds, play for our supporters, entertain them. Um, we love seeing them on a match day. You know, rugby, you have that personal touch with your supporters. Um, 
every game day. So yeah, we massively miss them, um, especially at home at the Stoop. Um, so as soon as it's safe to do so, as soon as we can, we want to get them back in in every ground really, because um, that's what makes rugby so special. Um, but yeah, we have to do it at the right time. And yeah, it was tough on the restart, not playing in front of um, supporters. Um, it was sort of sort of like a glorified training training run. Those games. Um, it was very strange. You can hear every every sound. Um, you can hear people shouting. Um, you can actually hear teammates for once, which, which is very strange. You know, normally with a crowd, you can't hear anything, but you can hear opposition talking and, and shouting. It's very strange, um, echoing around, uh, echoing around the uh, the grounds. Um, but yeah, we're just desperate to get crowds back in because um, obviously we we love playing in front of them. Mike, is there much? Because um, I know Bundyaki kind of almost. He almost became like a, it's taken on a life of its own. Bundyaki is so vocal out on the pitch at the moment, and it's kind of everybody's picked up on that now because there's no crowds there, and just the amount he screams and stuff and and chats all the way through a game. Was there any guys on your team who were a little bit like that, just so vocal during a game? Yeah, the, we we've um, recently acquired Chris Ashton, um, and he is the <laughs> gobbiest guy I've ever played with, and that certainly <laughs> comes out when there's no crowd. Like you can literally hear him from outside the ground. I think screaming and shouting and getting into the opposition, getting into his own players. Um, he's always communicating, so that he is someone that you really notice with no crowds. Um, and it's quite funny playing alongside him when he's getting into the opposition because you can hear every word he's saying, and he has no shame in doing it as well. So yeah, it is quite funny. I know quite often than not, the ref mic is picking up a lot of the um, talk, especially around scrum time. And it's really interesting because usually the the um, the crowds would drown that noise out. But the, between the ref cam, the ref mic and the, I suppose, the lack of crowds, you're hearing a lot of stuff that I think nobody's used to hearing live and nobody's used to hearing, I suppose, the jeering or what the the arguments they have around where their mark is and the scrums and that. So it's, it is really interesting from the outside looking in to see all, to hear all this stuff that goes on in a game that we wouldn't usually hear. Yeah, you have to be definitely so careful when you're, when you're in and around the referee now with your language and what you're saying to the opposition and <laughs> what you're saying to your own teammates sometimes. Um, you're definitely more aware of that now. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, it is tough sometimes when you're trying to, to not say what you want to say um, when you're around the referee. You sound like you're talking from experience there. No, no, not me at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> do that sort of thing. Um, Mike, down through the years, you've had quite a few Irish teammates. I suppose Gavin Duffy um, was one of those and Mike Ross, I suppose, as well. Um, Gavin Duffy was a fullback. Did you ever have any battles with him in those early years you know or did you learn from him or what kind of a player was he to play with we had a bit of both really um when I first sort of got into the the first team squad was under Dean Richards and he very much encouraged the young guys to to get stuck into the um into the older lads which Gavin Duffy obviously was compared to me at the time and he was he was the guy in the 15 shirt and you know I was a hungry young guy getting riled up by Dean Richards before every session <laughs> Um, you know, he wanted he wanted us to to get in, in stuck into those those older guys, especially as we were going down into the championship um, division one back then. Really see what you know if they wanted it, and, and also if we wanted it, if we wanted to get that shirt. And 
we were massively competitive as academy players to do that. But also um, with Gavin, he was great with me. Um, back then, I was I was terrible at the high ball. Um, and Dino and his and his coaching staff told me in, in no uncertain terms that I would never be playing for them in the fullback jersey if I didn't sort that high ball situation out. And you know, I knew how good he was um, with his. I think his Gaelic football background and just watching him play, how good he was at the high ball, that was one of his strengths. So, you know, I, I really tapped into his knowledge and his expertise in that. And he would take me for one-on-one sessions after after training and things like that um, to help me do that. And now that's become a, um, a massive part of my game. And, you know, if it wasn't for him being willing to do that, you know, I wouldn't be in the position I was today. So I owe him a lot in terms of my high ball skill. As a 15, can you pass on some of those uh, valuable knowledge tips that he passed on to you to get better at those at that high ball? Yeah, it was it was um, the te- technical aspects of um, where my hands are when I catch the ball. So um, he taught me about your your hand placement before you catch the ball. Hands always been above your eye line, um, which not many people know because obviously. Um, once the ball goes goes past your eyes, you, the ball's going to be quicker than your eyes um, to drop down. So if your hands are above your eyes, you'll always be able to see the ball um, and then bring it to your chest. So that was the main one for me, which still today I, I give give that um, bit of advice to, to young back three players at the club and they've never been taught that, um, which is incredible. But just to learn that from him has helped me massively in my career. Yeah, I think there's some things that you just expected to know or that you take for granted that are easy skills as such for a 15, but they're actually technically really difficult, especially when you have someone coming down against you, you know, breathing down the line, um, coming to contest that ball. And I think from an Irish point of view, we were blessed with having Rob Kearney for so long that I don't think we realised just how valuable he was in the squad until recently when there's such a debate as to who is going to be his predecessor, who is going to be the next 15. Um, I'm sure you had many a battle with, with Rob Kearney along the way through the years, both with Leinster and both with England. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of opposition and um, fullbacks that you admire, you, you look at um, their game, I really admire um, fullbacks that that um, really do their basics to the, to the highest level and the fundamentals of fullback. And he definitely epitomised that and did that. Um, you know, incredible under the high ball, brilliant boot, hit the line well, um, great counter attack. But also, he never seems to make too many errors in, in terms of a decision decision making from the back. And that is the making of a uh, of a world class fullback for me. You know whether he needs to run, kick, or or pass, um, he always makes the correct decision from the back, and that has such a massive impact for the rest of the team. If you know you've got someone back there um, that will always make the right decision with the ball, and never put your team in in um, in in uh, bad situations, um, you're going to be so much more confident. And he definitely did that. And I think, like you said, I think people in Ireland are, are realizing what he did for the team and. Um, the rock he was at the back um, and also what he could also do in terms of how good he was running with the ball and things like that, the special things as well he was good at. I think everyone's realising what they're missing now Now he's gone, which is a shame really, but um, yeah, he, he was an incredible fullback. Yeah, and look, I think 
you know, the guys that are there that are stepping up are young. You know, you've Keenan coming in there last week, um, did a super job. Um, you've Stockdale finding his feet in there as well. Um, Larmer obviously out injured at the moment, but I suppose as a 15, have you happened to to notice, you know, or to what's your opinion on who do you think would slot in there the best in your in your opinion? I think in my opinion, Lama, I think that guy, his X factors is so special. I think if he can add on that decision, make the correct decision making from the back in, in terms of when to run, when to kick and make sure he nails down the basics in, in terms of his high ball, his one-on-one tackling, which is still a, a, a pretty good standard at the moment. If he can really nail that, those down, his X factors so far in my in my eyes above the others. Um he should, he should definitely uh, he should definitely be first choice, and Stockdale for me is is a world class winger. So why would you put him at fullback? I think he's good at the moment as a stopgap, um, but I think for me Lama is the is the one. Do you think that the game has changed a bit since like you know since you started off at fifteen? Has the game evolved? Like, is the fifteen more of a, a playmaker? Are they more of a decision maker on the team? You know, um, or has do you think it has cha- changed? I suppose defensively and in attack, um, in relation to the kicking game or defensively. I think there's definitely um, a lot more kicking in the game now, especially at the highest level. Um, teams are using that to put to put the opposition under massive pressure because the defense is so good. So, the basic skills of the fullback in terms of the high ball is massively exposed if you're not good enough. Um, but it still baffles me that the basic skills of a fullback, especially in terms of high ball, isn't held in that, that high importance. I think people just look for the X factor first instead of what of basics of a fullback is needed, especially high balls, um, before the X factor. Um, and people just want the highlight reel as opposed to you know being able to take high balls consistently every single time, making their one-on-one tackles, you know, being able to clear the lines if needed, you know, the un- unglamorous stuff, which actually is probably more important, especially at the highest level. Um, apart from that, the game hasn't really changed um, too much. Just just a lot more kicking, I think, because of the defences. I was going to say, um, Mike, is it, and Emery, I suppose you can, you can attest to this as well, like, you know, having played full-back and, and stuff for Ireland, but is it a lonely place out there sometimes, you know, like, especially... No matter what happens in the game, sometimes you're the last line of defense, like one missed tackle and it could be a try. Like, is it, you know, it's a tough, tough kind of thing to deal with sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I think especially in terms of the high ball, because you're out, out the back there on your own. Um, everyone can see when you make an error, um, you know, if you knock the ball on, if you you miss a tackle, like you say, it's, it's, it's massively open so everyone can see what you're doing. And But for me, I love the the challenges of someone breaking the line and 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 being the last line of defence and that challenge, where everyone thinks the the attacker should win that challenge. But for me, um, you know, I love just just having that one on one and and trying to chop them down. And then if they do score, I just take it very personally and, and don't like it at all, um, <laughs> as you can probably imagine. But yeah, it, think, it is yeah. it is. Yeah, go on, sorry. I was going to say, I think you're the only one who relishes a one-on-one as a fullback. I don't know very many fullbacks that relish um, an acre of space and a one-v-one or two-v-one against you. I think you're the only one there. Yeah, I just, I just, I think I just love that competitive one-on-one challenge in all aspects of rugby, and and there's none greater than you know someone breaking the line and in all that 
open space and it's you versus them um, to see who comes out on top. And yeah, it's just a one-on-one challenge, which I, which I like. And I go through games sometimes just, you know, if the D, if our defense is going really well, you just think, oh, just just miss one, so I can just you know get involved a little bit and help the team. Um, but yeah, not too many, obviously, um, as a fullback, you don't want to make too many tackles, just just that one. Um, but yeah, yeah, sometimes. Um, you good. basically you want you want the highlight reel, you want the X factory that you were just talking. There you go, about yeah, the thing. highlight reel of a <laughs> of a one-on-one tackle. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. Mike, you, you made your debut in 2012, or in 20, 2017, but it, it took almost until 2012 to really cement your place on that on that English team. I suppose, were, were those years in between challenging, or what was the reason that there was so so much in and out and in and out in, in that time period? Yeah, it was challenging, because playing for England was such a massive um, goal of mine, and I was just desperate to do that. Um, but looking back at it now, it, it, it sort of went perfectly for me. I don't think being involved during that period um, would have been good for me, good good for my development. I wasn't ready, I don't think, when I had my first one or two caps. So that period away allowed me to get even get, get even hungrier to, to play in that jersey, to, to go away and work on my game. Um, so that once I had that opportunity, I was fully ready. I was fully ready to to grasp it with both hands. I was fully ready in terms of my skill set. I'd play, I'd played consistently um, for a good few years. So, I, you know, like I like I said, I was ready for that opportunity. I was desperate for that opportunity because um, it had been a good uh, four or five years. So, I think it worked out in the end perfectly for me. But obviously, at the time, it was um, incredibly tough. You know, being a young guy, just just wanting to be in the mix and not patient and things like that. You have to stay patient and just, just go away and keep working. And, and uh, Connor, Connor O'Shea just, just always said to me, just said, just, just make sure you're ready for that opportunity, opportunity every single day, go away, use that disappointment to, to work on your game and, and be ready for that when that opportunity came. And, and I think I was. You won premiership title under Connor O'Shea. Um, so there's <coughs> any standout memories of playing under Connor, you know, obviously he offered you that, um, word of advice but was there any other standout memories or any other words of advice that he offered you not really for, with Connor and myself we obviously had a close bond and when he first joined the club my contract was up and and before he'd even um started at the club full-time he he uh, met with me one-on-one and just said look um sign your contract and, and I promise you I'll, I'll do everything I can to um to get you in an England jersey and, and um you know, he did that for me. Um, and he also said that he could build a team that would uh, go on and, and win some silverware, and we did that. Um, but I think the, the thing that Connor did for me was just just always back me and um, allow me to play uh, my own game and give me that confidence. And as that confidence grew, and I knew that I'd be ready for an opportunity to, to put on that England jersey. So, you know, if it wasn't for him... Um, helping me with my confidence and give me that, give me that opportunity to to win silverware. Um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mike, I was actually thinking about like, um, you know, that, like you know, when you made your debut for England then as well. I think you were like twenty one, maybe just twenty two. And I look I had a look at that kind of team that you played with uh, down in South Africa in that tour. And you know, there's like Balshaw, Johnny Wilkinson, Jason Robinson. It was it was a tough tour. <laughs> I can tell you that. 
Um, what was it like it was for, for like a young lad to be playing with those kind of lads, you know, who'd won a World Cup only four years before? And against South Africa. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to go on that tour was a dream come true. Um, I think I'd only played one year in the Premiership when I went on that tour. And like you said, to, to turn up um, at Twickenham before before we left for South Africa and, and see Jason Robertson uh, being a rugby league fan as well. Obviously grew up watching him. Um, Andy Farrell, and again, another rugby league convert. Grew up watching him. Johnny Wilkinson, obviously, you know, the things he did in the England jersey um, goes without saying. Um, just seeing those guys, um, you know, was, you know, I was in awe um, of those guys just to take the field with them for training was, was amazing to see how they operated, see what they did. Um, but it was, uh, it was an incredibly tough tour. Um, you really found out what um, international rugby was about. We, we were playing a team that were g- going to go on and win the World Cup, you know, incredible team with, with uh, Spies, with um, uh, Skultberger, with um, De Villiers, people like that, um, incredible players. Um, and we were missing uh, the, 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 the players from the top four teams because it was the first year of, of the Premiership playoffs. Um, so there was a clash with with the tour and and those those um, playoff games. So we didn't have players from the likes of Leicester and Wasps. When in those days, most of the the team was Leicester and Wasps. Um, so we were missing a lot of experience, a lot of um, world class players. Um, we, were, we were a whole new team, really. So in terms of that, it was it was a it was a hide into nothing, really. We we were struggling from from the get go. Um, all new players, all new team, even with those guys that I mentioned, you know, it was going to be an incredibly tough, uh, tough trip, tough tour. And it, and it um, certainly went, went that way as well. But th- things kind of seemed to turn around for you then, like, especially, I think maybe once Andy Farrell and Lancaster kind of came in and were in charge of England then, and you got a run in the team kind of really kind of took off for you then. And, um, you know, that, that for you, I remember one stage in the middle of, you got like the player of the six nations and, uh, just you know, like Irish fans always would have kind of like you're one of the guys to kind of you hated playing against because you did so well against Ireland as well. Like um, during that period, did you kind of feel like you know was that the the most confident you've ever been in your own game and how you played? Yeah, definitely confident because, like I said before, with Connor, he'd feed that confidence, would allow me to play my own game. But then also, when Stuart took over, he was similar. Um, I'd obviously experienced him in the Saxons, which helped me. Um, get selected by him because he knew what I was about um, and knew what I could bring. And then um, once I got with the main squad, again, like Connor, he just encouraged me to to play my game. Um, didn't start trying to tell me to play a different way or do this, do that. It was just go out and play your game, stick to your super strengths. Um, and he allowed me to do that, so, which was great. It feeds your confidence. It, it, it gives you that belief. Um and, and it just rolled on from there, really. And I massively enjoyed that period with Quinns, with England. Um, it was just unfortunate that it ended in the way it did with that that uh, World Cup exit. Um, but look, look how how well Stuart's gone on and done things with Les- Leinster. Sorry, um, that shows how good a coach he was, um, and he still is. Um, and speaking to those Irish players that are working with him now at Leinster, he still has that. 
um, confidence. I believe he pushes on those players um, and allows them to go out and express themselves and encourages them to, to go out and do that. How different is the coaching style between Stewart and Eddie Jones? <laughs> Very different. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate think, a little bit on that. <laughs> I think, unfortunately for Stewart, he got um, probably too caught up, and he, he'd admit this as well, um, too caught up in everything else that surrounds being the England um, England boss in terms of the media and scrutiny and all those things that, that surround that job and and that took away from what he really is good at and that's his coaching and he spent less time doing that um, which is, is, is his strength it's what he's good at um, Eddie very much can deal with that that outside influence and bubble and the media and the scrutiny like I said he's used to that he's experienced with that he, he, he sort of relishes in that and it doesn't take away from his coaching so it's hard to compare them because they're completely different people that, you know, Eddie likes the mind games and with with the media, he likes the mind games with the players. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with with everything he does with, with players and in terms of the mind games and things like that. Whereas Stuart, he wasn't like that really. Um, but also he got affected by the media and things like that that was going on outside and, and that took away from his... his um, quality coaching that he does have what's the what's it like for you guys is it like you know when you're in the England squad and Eddie just throws out a grenade to the media like and like says we're going to thump that team next week you know what are you guys thinking as a squad when, when he goes out and, and just says something outlandish do you know what we just have a laugh about it really like you guys I'm sure do um <laughs> you, you just you get into the team room and when he's not around obviously <laughs> you go oh gee, what he said this week See what do you hear what the boss is saying now? Um, and you just have a laugh about it, really, because you know what he's like. It's more when he's in a, a team meeting and he starts chucking those grenades at individuals. You just keep your head down, you know, looking around, and hope, just just hoping he doesn't come for you. And then and then when you get <laughs> called in for a, for his one on ones into his office, again you're just hoping that he's not going for you, and he's and he's in a good mood, and he's and your flavor of the month with him because. Um, there's been a lot of players that have come out there of, the, of those one-on-ones in, in near tears and you just don't want that um, because he has a sharp tongue and he's very clever with it as well. <laughs> I always remember um, Matt Gitto had a story about kind of being at a function and, you know, I think it was his birthday and Eddie Jones was there back when he was the Aussie coach and he was kind of telling them to go have a drink because it was his birthday and relax. But at the same time, he told them he wanted them to steer clear of the drink and he was just like, what does he want me to do? His head was so tied up with like, um, you know, is this a mind game that Eddie's doing with me again here? Can I drink? Can I not? And um, he just said he just, his head, he, ne- he never knew which way was, you know, left and right with Eddie at all. That's the thing. You literally don't know. You don't know if, if what he's saying he means or it's a diff- it means something else or, you know, he's playing a game with you or he's being sincere. You literally don't know what is going on when he's around and what he's saying to you. He's always picking up on things and what you're doing around the team room, how you'd speak to him or he'd be questioning you on something, but he's trying to get to something else. And honestly, it is exhausting mentally um, when you're in camp. You just don't know what's going on. You'll be walking down the corridor, talking to another teammate and he'll just pop up from around the corner and you'll be like, where's this guy just come from? 
Um, he's, he, it's like he's got eyes and ears everywhere as well. You, you know, we had jokes that um, we got give, given these little um, timers, which was a countdown clock to, to the World Cup. And we got given them at the start of the cycle, so four years before. And we just started having a joke, thinking there was there was um, mics and and cameras in in the <laughs> in the clock, um, so he could see what you're doing all the time, hear what you're doing, because it's like that. It's like he knows everything that's going on. He hears everything that's going on. He's constantly playing mind games. So when you're in camp, it can come it be, can become very um, exhausting and tiring at times. Is that what it's like with Adam Griggs? Is it Emer? I know Griggsy is a little bit different um, there isn't there definitely isn't the mind games but I do understand what you're saying there Mike about like you know throwing the grenade at the media and a lot of the time you know what's going on in camp isn't actually what's happening in the media like the media only hear such a small bit of what's actually happening in camp it's there's a whole other story happening when you know we know who's injured we know who's going to be starting and you're trying to play it down to the media and it's all secrets. The world of being a player is, is all secrets. And what we hear on the outside is, as media is is completely different. And um, it's never the full truth, for sure. I think that's no, what course. I've learned as a player. Of course not. He, he loves the mind games, doesn't he? Especially with the media. He, Like I said, he relishes in it. He he wants to be having those games with the media. And I think he just enjoys it, to be honest. I think that that's the only reason most of the time he does it is because he enjoys winding them up, um, seeing what they'll write. Um, enjoys trying to get one over on them. Um, so I think mainly it's just for his own enjoyment, to be honest. <laughs> I had a look back at your record, and I think your first five games against Ireland, you'd you'd won them all. Like you had five wins for five wins, um, and then they kind of turned the tide a little bit. Then starting with that game in Dublin when they they, they denied you guys the Grand Slam, and then they won the Grand Slams themselves the year after. What do you think Ireland had done in that period to kind of? figure you guys out because you, you had to wood over them for a few years like can you remember much of those games in 2017 and 2018 I think to be honest they just stuck to to what they're good at they um really went for us at set piece they really went for us in terms of their physicality and and they played a territory game um with the great kicker game they had um and still do I think the times they've come unstuck um, we've got on top of them in terms of our set piece. We've been massively physical at the breakdown and, to, and also our carries and our defence. And we've nullified their kicking game um, really well. And I think I think that's probably why Ireland have, have lost the last couple against England the way they have, because for some reason they've just gone away from that. Um, I was a travelling reserve when, when England did a number on them, uh, what, year ago now I think what's that 2018 or 19 over at your place um, because for some reason Ireland just decided to play this wide wide expansive game and it and it just played into our hands in terms of um, our pressure in defence um, and things like that so when Ireland stick to their to their game plan which can look quite simple but it's massively effect, effective um, that's when they really push England I was looking forward to this weekend. Who is impressing you in the English side? Are any young players that you've been looking to that you're really looking forward to seeing playing in this autumn nations? I think, to be honest, the backs haven't really shown much um, in the last two games. Weather's not been great, but I think England have, have not played a way that gets the backs too much involved. Just been very powerful in a set piece. I think the whole pack have been 
uh, very impressive. They're just so powerful. I think that you know them and South Africa really stand head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of the power they have in their in their forward pack. Um, I think someone who I'd like to see more of is, is uh, Willis. I think in terms of the rules um, at the breakdown, I think he be, can become a, a real weapon for England. So I'm interested to see now after his run against Georgia if he can you know, sort of take the next step up against the te- a team like Ireland, um, a really top quality outfit. Um, so see if he can take that step up because obviously he's done some incredible things in, in the last year in the Premiership, especially at the breakdown. It's been up, he's been unbelievable. So I want to see if he can, um, you know, take the next step up and do that at, at the highest level as well. Just how much of a pain in the ass, like in a good way, Maro Atoje is like, you know, um, you know, just what's a, a guy like that? He's such a talented man for the England side, isn't he? He's he's some some uh, athlete, isn't he? He's uh, he's an absolute beast. I mean, best in the world. Um, in my opinion, and I'm sure in in most people's opinion, no one can do what he can do in terms of his athleticism, and he's an absolute pain in the backside. Um, you know, he's just a beast. <laughs> There's nothing more to be said about him, I guess. He just he's just stronger than everyone else. He's he's quick, he's powerful, he's a nose at the breakdown. He just gets stuck in. He smashes people. Um, it just disrupts people um, at the breakdown. Um, he's so destructive. His athleticism in the line-out uh, is such a big weapon for England. He can move from the, the second row to the back row. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, for me, the best in the world. Mike, who do you think will, um, will get the win on, on, at the weekend between Ireland and England? You know, Ireland, their injury crisis is, is worsening. I think just today they announced that... Um, Henshaw and Sexton have been ruled out for the game along with injuries to Larmer and Ringrose in the centre. So, you know, Ireland are obviously, they have a high in- injury count at the moment. But what, how do you see England and Ireland faring at the weekend? Obviously, you're you're probably going to go for an English win, but um, what are your thoughts on that? I think, yeah, I, w- I think even without hearing those injuries, I would have said England for the win. I think, like I said before, the English pack is so dominant and powerful at the moment. Um, they're starting eight, but also the guys they can bring off the bench and even guys that are in the squad. Um, this is so efficient, so powerful. I think I'm not sure that Ireland will have the, the firepower to to stop that. Um, and then Sexton being out, like you've just told me that I didn't know he was going to be out, but hearing that, he he's such a big... Um, player for them. He's their emotional driver. He's their, he's obviously their game leader in terms of what they do um, with their with their attack, their strategy. Um, he's he's great in terms of their kicking game, which I said works well for them when they when they win. Um, I think if you got to if you want to be England, who are a massively um, territory based team, you need to take that territory away from them uh, by using your kicking game and. With Murray and Sexton, they've got two two of the best in the world um, at that. If you take one of them out, you know that's a big gap to fill. Especially with Sexton, I'm not sure the guys that that can come in second, third, fourth choice um, are up to that level yet. Um, I'm sure they will do. Billy Burns, I really like him, but you know he's new to to this level. Um, so and Johnny Sexton's a world class player. So to miss him 
and he's their captain. And like I said, emotional driver. Um, he's massive for them. So with those two things, I just don't, I can't see Ireland um, turning England over. But saying that and knowing the Irish the way I do, um, being underdogs will massively suit them. I think the way um, Big Faz will, will have them G'd up, fired up, um, nothing to lose for them. They're away from home. People like myself will be doubting them. Um, he'll have them fired up. So you know, you never know with the Irish, but I just can't see them um, turning over the English pack. So, Mike, you were okay, backing an English win by the looks of it. I was going to say, Sorry? yeah, we'll hold you. We'll yeah. hold you to that there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people will when they hear this as well. Well, Mike, <laughs> thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and chat to you today. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks so much. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Pat also spoke with Freddie Burns, brother of Ulster in Ireland, out half Billy Burns. I see you've got the, the photos and all set up behind you there. Um, reminders yeah. at home and stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I've got sort of mum, dad, the, the new nieces and stuff and the brothers, so... Just uh, trying to trying to make this place a little bit like home, mate. And whereabouts? Because I know you're playing for the shuttles, but uh, whereabouts? Like, what's the nearest big town near you? So the nearest city is uh, Nagoya, which is Japanese uh, Japan's fourth largest city. So it's um it's quite well situated where I am in in Korea, which is a sort of small city about twenty minutes train from Nagoya. It's, it's quite quiet, but it's a uh, it's a lovely area, not far from training. The apartments fine, so. Yeah, just trying to settle in now. And how, how long have you been over there now? Because like, I, I saw your little announcement video there and your, your Japanese was pretty decent. I don't know whether it was somebody with a big whiteboard behind the camera, but it was, it was pretty good. Uh, it's the showbiz for you, isn't it? You've got to know, you've got to pay a little man to stand there with a with a <laughs> piece of paper that you can read from. But uh, yeah, I've been over here a month now. So I had my two weeks um, sort of isolation period in the apartment. And then, uh, yeah, I've, I've been training now for, for two weeks. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's good stuff. And is everything on track as far as you know to kind of the season to start, you know, on time? Yeah, I think so. I think there's talk of like a third wave or something over here, but I'm quite oblivious to it because obviously I, I don't really watch Japanese uh, TV because I can't understand what they're saying. So I think we're, we're okay at the minute. It doesn't start till January. So I think they're, they're holding off, but um, you know, the preseason games are still going, going ahead. Um, you know, we've been given all the protocols. Everyone wears a mask everywhere. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not too sure at the minute. It looks promising right now, but I'd be lying if I said I knew anything about it because I really don't. Yeah, and um, and are you doing something like that? Are you gonna are you taking a few Japanese lessons? Is that part of your kind of weekly schedule as well? Yeah, not at the minute. So the plan the plan is to um, obviously did a few lessons before I before I came out, uh, which. As much as they were good, it hasn't. I wouldn't say it hasn't helped me, but it's it's a completely bonkers language in comparison to to English because not only do they pronounce words extremely different to how we would, they also rearrange the sentence so they almost speak like Yoda. Um, <laughs> it's, it's how you've got to think when you're when you're arranging the subject. So uh, you know, we've got two great translators at the club, which which help out, but it's definitely a funny dynamic when you know, you're, you're at training and, and you want to get a real sort of short, sharp point across to, to the boys, especially being a fly half. And you almost have to call the translator over mm. to then sort of, so everything's, one thing it's taught me is a lot of patience. Um, 
you know, even like today, going to the bank to sort a few things out, it's just, you know, it, it is very testing in, in that sense. But uh, yeah, it's a challenge that I knew would, would come along and I knew it would be hard. And yeah, I'm just sort of trying to tuck into it and, and just keep moving forward. My um, my sister was an English teacher over there for a while, back around, you know, I think 2002. But my parents and my little sister went over to visit. And my dad's way of the getting through the language barrier was just to shout at people. Uh, I don't know if that really worked. <laughs> That's just his style. I, I find that I just make noises, genuinely. <laughs> like, like Because they, almost when they say hi, a casual way to say hi, they almost just go, oos, at you. And you're kind of like... Obviously, there's a little bit of well, was embarrassment. You, you sort of, we first get here and I'd learned a little bit, um, but you're almost scared to use it in case you use it in the wrong sort of context or, mm. or they have a bit of a laugh at you. But um, yeah, so that's starting to come down now. I, I know a few basic things, but you know, you, you'll go to a supermarket and you know, the first few times the woman will ask you if you want a bag and no word sounds the same. So you have no clue what this woman's asking for. So you just sort of pile on, pile on with it, but it's... Um, yeah, like I say, it's it's different. It's a completely different dynamic the way the rugby works over here and how the whole setup is with the company and all that. So it's um yeah, so it's a lot different to England. And, and then yeah, so just I suppose the the the, the main thing we're going to chat about today is just about Billy and, and the fact that he made his debut there for Ireland at the weekend. But kind of wanted to go back to even the early days for you. It's um you guys are from it's a four kids in the family, is it? Um, and then your dad's. Um, yeah, like he has a plumbing company. Was that it when you, when you guys were growing up? Yeah, so f- four boys: Jack, the eldest, and Sam, then me, and then and then Bill. Um, yeah, mum and dad started started the plumbing business. I think it's been going now. God, I want to say thirty five years, but it might be longer than that. It might be closer to forty. But they set that up, uh, still going now. So the plumbing business is, you know, mum does the books. Uh, one van's got Jack and Sam in it, and the other van's got dad in it. So. Uh, proper proper family run business um you know been through his tough times along the way like all businesses do and yeah parents gave us a, a great upbringing and you know, it was just great to see billy you know i know for my dad especially because my dad's dad was was irish and unfortunately we never got to meet him but he was he was from dublin from from rohini um so i know how much it means for my old man to see to see bill pull on the the green of ireland and what's what's your dad's name jerry Jerry, and what about your granddad? Do you know what? This is going to sound really embarrassing now, right? So I'm pretty sure his name is Tommy, right? Mm. But there was, a bit, there was a bit of a story where, um, I, I, I want to make sure I get it right, but he was called, I used to call him Patrick, right? Mm. And I, I don't know whether it's just the old Irish sort of paddy kind of nickname. They used to call him Patrick. Anyway, um, Jack was born. The eldest, and my parents called him Jack Patrick Burns um, after after the, my granddad. And then a few years passed, and um, they actually found out they found the, the birth certificate, and his first name was Tommy. So they actually <laughs> kind of forgot what his name was. So they uh, so then Sam, my the other brother, ended up being Samuel Thomas Burns. Um, you know that was then the, the sort of tip of the cap to. Uh, to my granddad, but yeah, we, we never met him, uh, neither, neither my grand nor my granddad or my dad's side. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame we never got to meet him, but we've got family over in Ireland and stuff like that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's cool to see Bill represent him. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like, was there ever any kind of trips over here when you were growing up or, or that kind of, did you know that there was always that kind of Irish connection there in the family? 
Yeah, yeah, we um we, we went over quite a lot when we were when we were younger. Um and my dad's cousin Paul lives over there and uh yeah, we used to go over and I remember one trip we spent it in the back of a of a of a BMW being driven around showing all the sights and one night we actually stayed at I believe it was um uh my cousin's grandparents' house. I, this is going back years ago now, and I remember there was a, a park across the road. And on the Saturday, we went across and they were playing um, hurling. Um, and I just remember being absolutely fixated with it. So my parents bought us some some sticks and some balls. And yeah, we used to we used to get in trouble out the front back over in England because we'd be, four of us would be trying to whack whack balls around with these hurling sticks. <laughs> um, and yeah, and you, you're, I suppose like four boys growing, growing up and yourself and Billy ended up kind of going on to play kind of pro rugby. But like your other brothers, like was it a mad kind of sporting household for you guys growing up always at the back garden playing different sorts of games yeah it was especially um you know so there's there's sort of i think it's about 20 months between jack and sam and then 18 months between sam and me and then there's four years till till mm. bill came along but um yeah all our, all the upbringing was just all about being in the garden you know playing rugby going up the rugby club watching dad play spending hours outside you know getting covered in mud and getting up, up to no good so it's always been in the family. It was actually the, the brothers that got my dad into it. My dad actually played, started playing at 40 and he recently retired uh, just before Christmas at the tender age of 62. So wow. he was still still running about, but it was actually the boys that, that got us into it. And yeah, to be fair, all four of us were, 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 were decent enough players. Obviously, Jack, the eldest, he kind of went into chefing and that sort of overtook his time of, of playing rugby. And now he's got a, a family and that which he looks after and, yeah, Sam actually ended up representing Cyprus as well. So technically, it's three internationals in the family oh, now. If you, if you count <laughs> Sam uh, representing Cyprus, which is uh, which is you know quite a cool thing to say. Um, and and then like I suppose with um, you know you guys both ended up playing like underage for for England and and then under twenties as well. But um, you both ended up kind of then at the same time at Gloucester then, didn't you as well? Yeah, we overlapped a little bit. He was um, he was coming through and. No, he managed to have a couple of appearances. I remember my my last ever game for Gloucester was actually Bill's first ever game for Gloucester, and uh, Henry Trinder went down in the warm up, so I ended up moving to twelve, and Bill played Bill played ten, which which was unbelievable. And you know, with with Bill's story, I think you know it was great that you know, first and foremost, whether the Ireland thing happened for him or not, it doesn't really matter because I think the move for him to go to Ulster as a as a person and and also that tipping point in his career where if he stayed at Gloucester, he probably would have been second fiddle to, to Cipriani. And then, you know, his stock lowered and he's probably a frustrated second choice 10 trying to find, trying to find a club and he's gone to Ulster and, he, and he's just excelled and obviously reaping the rewards now. So uh, we overlapped at Gloucester, but I think for both of us, it was important for our careers to, to get out and, and experience something else. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Like when Cipriani signed, it might've been, he might've seen the writing was on the wall. Like, you know, it was a big sign in for them. They were going to, you know, invest in Cipriani, but did you guys have much talks at the time? And like, you know, were you surprised when you had heard about the Ulster interest? No. So I heard about the Ulster interest. Um, and you know, we obviously spoke and I just said to Bill, I said, listen, like, because it's always been the way, obviously I've, I've played for a few clubs now, um, in my career. And I was always, I was always of the philosophy, look, go and hear what they've got to say. Sort of don't let it fall through just because now nah, you don't want to, you sort of don't want to entertain it. Go there, 
see what the coaches have to say, see what the setup's like, see what the feeling is that you get. And if you feel that it's going to make you a better rugby player, then, then, then do it. Um, so to be fair to me, he did it. He got on a plane the next morning, flew out, had a look around and, and he loved it. And it was quite a quick, um, quite a quick move. But I feel like, like I said, his career could be vastly different now if he'd, if he'd stayed in his comfort zone and stayed at Gloucester. And like most of his career, he's just gone from strength to strength. And, you know, he's, he's really matured into a, into a great player now. And have you, like, um, you know, would you guys be good for, like, you know, swapping advice and stuff like that? And would you stay in touch, you know, often? Like, and would he be telling you about how he's getting on at Ulster? And, and then, like, likewise, you'd be telling him similar stories about Bath and, and making the move as well? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit. I think, you know, as, a, as an older brother and, and also as a family, we've also, we're always, we, we know that each other's there for each other. We don't, don't need to be in, in constant contact um but that said you know we do drop each other a message every now and again but it's important that he finds his own his own route and his own way and sometimes he has to go through through things on his own and you know everyone's story is a little bit different everyone's journey is a little bit different so you try and be there for him and, and support him and, and but at the same time he has to learn the lessons on his own and and move on with them so um you know i sent him a message after the uh, after the Pro 14 final, mm. uh, I, I felt like, you know, I felt his pain. I'd kind of been where he'd been when you know, I made my debut against the All Blacks in 2012. And two weeks before the Six Nations started, I, I, did a, I, I got an MCL injury, which was a six to eight week injury, which pretty much counted me out of the, of the Six Nations. And I remember when I came back from that, I felt like I have to be back at the standard that I was before. Mm. Um, and I sort of tried to push things and, and, and sort of frustrated myself by trying to sort of run before I could walk again, rather than being like, right, give myself a little bit of, like take the pressure off, almost try and forget about England, just focus on my day to day. And uh, yeah, I did send him a message just saying, mate, like, forget about Ireland for now. Like just focus on, on, on your club stuff. Um, and I think he was kind of a bit of an injury anyway. So I sort of said to him, mate, like if you're carrying it, get yourself right, like play, Play it 100% because you're doing no one any favours going out and trying to limp around the pitch for 80 minutes. And, you know, he went away. I think he had a tear in his calf and spent a bit of time getting that right and then comes back, plays right. And lucky enough, well, not lucky enough, but fortunately enough, uh, Andy Farrell picked him. And he was, like, you know, since he came into Ulster, like he, as you said, like he's kind of taken, a, taken that challenge on board and he's settled in and it's like a nice little partnership he had set up with John Cooney up there and... um you know, like a lot of people even could have been calling for him to come into that Six Nations squad, get a Six Nations squad earlier in the season as well. Like, so, um, you know, had you got a chance to see many of his games? Like, would, you know, would you just be catching up on highlights every now and then or would you catch the odd game and to be on TV? No, I was quite lucky because obviously um, they play a lot of Friday night games, don't they? So, you know, mm. for me, it would be a case of it would be the night before a game for me. So I'd, I'd make my pre-match meal at home with like a nice bowl of pasta and I'd be able to sit there at 7.45 and watch... Uh, watch the game. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I got to watch a lot of his games and like I say, I think he's just settled into that team very well. I think, you know, Dan McFarland, I, I, I rate massively the way he talks about his players, not just Bill. He sort of has a, a huge respect for his players and the way that he talks about his team and sort of the camaraderie that that Ulster team have. You know, being one of the probably, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but probably being one of the more unfashionable sort of, provinces of Ireland mm. um, 
you know, they've got a team of fighters and, and a team of great players that, you know, go out to prove a point every week and do it side by side. So, you know, I've always been, um, I've always had admiration for the way Dan McFarlane's got that group together and, and the kind of rugby that they've played and they deserve the, the success that they've been getting, you know, in Europe. They had a great group stage last year and obviously making the Pro 14 final. And then, like, you know, when the, you know, he'd been called into the squad, but uh, just saw you at the, on the day, like when he got named in that at match day 23, kind of saying, you know, how proud you were of him as well. Like, did, did, did you call him at all before his debut or maybe it was just a couple of messages you sent to him? No, I called him. I called, I FaceTimed him the day before um, just because the time difference is so, obviously I'm nine hours in front here and, and I was trying to, it confuses you sometimes. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't want to call him, you know, a couple of hours before kickoff or whatever. So I just dropped him a, 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 a FaceTime and, we had a brief chat and yeah, you know, there's nothing that needs to be said then, you know, everything that, that, you know, he knows how proud I am of him. And, you know, we got asked to send messages into him to watch before the game, um, which was a nice touch. So got to be able to say a few nice messages there. And then it's just a case of mate, go out, enjoy it. You know, I, I had five England caps in my career and you know, as much as I loved every one of them, you know, you don't get to relive them again. So just enjoy them for what they are and, and crack on, and you know, lucky enough, he, he got some good game time at the weekend and went well. Yeah, and it was the thing that a lot of people stood out to a lot of people when he came on was the big smile on his face when he came on. Um, now, I know like the, he would he would preferred Sexton, you know, not to be limping off at the same time, but he came on and, and didn't seem to be inhibited when he went out there. He kind of just played his own game, and, and true, it's interesting you talk about that Pro 14 final, like where, you know, he threw an intercept as well. Like, but he, he was pretty brave with some passes he threw out there at the weekend and it didn't seem to be held back by anything, did he? No, and I think, you know, that's... You know, again, I, I echo your, your point when, you know, you never want to see Johnny Sexton go off, you know, what a, what a legend of the game. And, and you, never want, you never want your opportunity to come necessarily that way. But like you said, it was a, a bit of a baptism of fire for Bill and he went in and, and he played well and... I guess as a family, we've always been a team that's played on the edge. I think, uh, you know, maybe I've played a little bit more on the edge than, than Bill in, in my career and kind of paid the price for it a few times. But, you know, I think, you know, only talking from my experience of international rugby, everything happens so quick. It's almost, you know, the, the speed of the game, the physicality of the game are obviously ramped up massively compared to, to club games. But it all happens in an instant. You don't have the time to think. So those passes, you don't really think about the consequences. You just catch, right, there's my opportunity. And one thing Bill's got is a, is a great passing game. So he went in there and, you know, I, again, I don't want to waffle on too much, but <laughs> my, my caps were under, were under Andy Farrell as well. And I, mm. I, I know what kind of um, license he gives boys to go out and, and express themselves. You know, he expects a certain standard, but at the same time, it's not necessarily a worry about the consequences kind of guy. He's sort of you know, go out and throw everything into it and, and see where it, where it ends up. And yeah, I thought it was a dominant Ireland performance and you know, a great way to, to get your debut in a, in a pretty comfortable win against Wales. And, and yeah, like, in, like the, I think he's actually up to the interesting thing. I think he's up now in a couple of hours for uh, media duty. Like, so um you know, that's going to be another good one from, so like, again, I probably might be on one of these zoom calls chatting to him and, um, so I might even just kind of mention that I was ch- chatting to you today and pass on his eyes, mate. Yeah. <laughs> just it's, it's like jump, jumping on my success of you. That's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, just how, like, you know, how big a deal, you know, hopefully you get through all these kind of return to play protocols and stuff at the end. Cause I think you took a bit of a knock at the weekend, but 
how big a deal would it be, you know, to for him to possibly line out against England next weekend at Twickenham? Yeah, I think it's I think it's huge. I think you know Ireland England is 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 one of those games, isn't it? You know, I, mm. I was never fortunate enough to play in any of those games, but you watch them and you just know what they mean to to both sets of of supporters. You know, with the way current times are, with everyone watching at home, it almost means more than ever. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great game to be a part of to play it at Twickenham. The game is at Twickenham, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so to play it to play at Twickenham, you know, any stages. Probably, probably where Bill was a kid dreamed of playing, maybe in a maybe in a slightly different shirt at, at the start, but to be there in an Ireland one, I know he'll be super proud. And you could argue there's no no tougher test in in world rugby at the minute than than England at Twickenham. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, cheers for taking the time, Freddie, and uh, yeah, and all the best of um, everything over in Japan. I'll be kind of keeping an eye out for you now in 2021. Okay, cheers to everybody for watching and listening today. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. Slongafo. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. Game changed.